Welcome to Marketing Tales with Chris Raposo, a podcast created to spotlight and highlight marketers, tell their stories, and share their knowledge with those interested in all things marketing. If you're interested in more than just the cut and dry strategies and tactics and want to learn more about the human side of his guests and how they got to where they are today, then this show is for you. When it comes to B2B marketing, what role does customer testimonials and reviews play in showcasing brand value? It has a huge, huge impact. Uh, we actually recently did a uh, analysis of G2, which is a peer to, peer-to-peer review site, mostly for software vendors, uh, but it's called G2. One of their competitors is Captera. Uh, but yeah, we did an analysis on G2 and we found just, I think it was just in the last half half year of 2022, there are many, many deals that during the sales procurement process, someone from their institution research, researched our company to see like, hey, what do other people want to talk about us, right? Just like if I were to buy a product on Amazon, not only do I look at the stars that are being, uh, like, you know, how many reviews there are and how many, what's the star rating? I'll scroll down and like read the customer reviews, right? And maybe scroll through a few of them, depending on how expensive of a product I'm buying. I'll watch the videos, the product videos, right? I'll search for a specific question. And so we know through data in G2 that uh, our customers during the procurement process or the sales pipeline process, someone from their team researched our company to to see what others are saying about us. And so we want to continue to get reviews on those websites and continue to develop case studies with our current customers because we know it has a huge, huge impact. Again, social proof, nothing beats social proof and uh, references as well. Hello and welcome back everyone to another episode of the Marketing Tales show with Chris Raposo. Today I have the pleasure of welcoming Shiro Hattori to the show. Shiro, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks Chris. It's it's great to be here and um it's I'm really happy to start talking about marketing. Awesome, man. Awesome. Yeah, Shiro, obviously we've been connected for a while on LinkedIn. I followed your 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 progression concept 3D as well as um you know your podcast the higher demand gen podcast and which are you are the host of so Shira you earned your degree in technology arts and media from the University of Boulder in Colorado did you know from an early age did you want to get into marketing and if so what do you love about marketing yeah uh, I think. During college, I didn't know exactly that I wanted to get into marketing. Uh, technology, arts, and media actually was my minor, and my major was in environmental science. Uh, but through that minor, uh, we learned about developing websites, creating graphics uh, with like Photoshop and Illustrator. And um, I used to actually like film ski videos because I was like a part of this group or crew uh, in this in the ski world, and we'd make little like group edits, video edits. And I knew I really liked creating those videos, graphic images, and I had a lot of fun making the websites. And those skills naturally aligned with marketing, especially the creative side of it. And I think I kind of just naturally fell into that role. Yeah, and you're really good at it. I can tell after watching you for about a year now on LinkedIn and just following your your podcast as well. So you're currently the director of Demand Gen at Concept3D and the podcast host of the Higher Ed Demand Gen podcast. Can you tell us a little bit more about Concept 3D, your podcast, and your day-to-day responsibilities as a marketer? Yeah, absolutely. So yes, I do work at Concept 3D as the Director of Demand Generation. And Concept 3D is a uh, 
software as a service business. Uh, we primarily cater towards the higher ed audience. I'd say like 95% of our, our customers are in the higher ed space. And so with that, we are a higher ed tech vendor. Uh, and we provide three different solutions uh, in the realm of calendars, event calendars, virtual tours, and interactive maps or campus maps of campuses. Mm -hmm. And uh, as the host of the podcast, I actually started the podcast in be on the behalf of Concept3D because like you, Chris, I wanted to create connections with the community. I'll get more into this later, but I'm, I'm an ethical marketer. That means I want to provide value to the communities that we serve and the people that we talk to. And I thought, what better way to, to do that than to have these conversations, have guests on that, you know, have a lot of experience, um, a lot of knowledge and share some of that with the rest of the community, including our customers. Yeah, I've um, I've seen your LinkedIn post and your following on LinkedIn and the engagement you get on your podcast episode post. It's incredible how the support of the guests and the previous guests is there for you. So I can tell that you brought a lot of value to them and they respect you highly for what you've been doing for the last year. So congrats on that. So um, let's focus the episode on how marketers can create value that ties back to brand because there's something we discussed pre-interview that's, that's something that you feel passionate about and you have knowledge for. So can you describe the core components of brand value and how it can be differentiated from just brand recognition? Yeah, I think I think they are related. Like I think they're very closely related, but I think the parts that really set them apart is if you have an unlimited budget, you can pay for brand recognition, whether that's positive or negative, right? You can throw ads and throw millions of dollars and your brand will be recognized. And But that doesn't always mean that you'll have brand value, right? And the way I look at it, kind of going back to what I just said is, you know, one, one component that I measure brand value on is, is it adding value to the communities that they sell into, right? Like I always, in marketing, I always like to make examples with running shoes, but like, like for example, is Nike adding value to the sports that they sponsor and the athletes that they sponsor, right? Like that's super high level question. And so I would say yes to that. So in a sense, like they're, you know, nailing brand recognition really well, but also adding value as a brand. So that's kind of how I think of it. Uh, one way I believe Concept3D is really setting themselves apart from the rest of the higher ed vendors is one, we are adding value through marketing streams that, you know, I'm contributing to, my team is contributing to, uh, our developers who actually create the product are contributing to. But on top of that, we have like certain niches or certain unique selling uh, propositions that we really emphasize and promote. So one of those areas is digital accessibility, right? That's one of our core uh, brand value and uh, brand components that we really focus on from not just a marketing perspective on what we talk about, but also from our product. And so we're, we're very aligned there. And so that's kind of one very specific, specific area that I think we add brand value. Yeah. You brought a lot of value on your recent webinar that I've been a part of that I watched about the, uh, how to structure or how to go about an effective move-in day for college students. You know, you didn't particularly push your product there, but you just added value to the community to the higher community, your customers and build trust as a, as a source of somebody who knows what's going on in the lives of your audience. You know, that's how it's a good way to, to build that brand uh, value as well. So really enjoyed that one and, you know, keep up the good work there. And I'm taking some notes as well and implemented in my marketing strategy for Hannon Hill. Um, let's talk about emotional connections there for a minute. 
the market ed tech, SaaS, you know, fintech, all these buzzwords, it's so saturated out there right now. How can marketers efficiently and effectively create an emotional bond between consumers and their brands? Yeah, I mean, there's. I think there's a lot of ways to do this. You can create a podcast and interview guests in your community uh, like we've done here, Chris. Uh, but a great place to start, I think, is talking to your customers, right? Like if you're a marketer and you're not talking to your current customers, you are doing yourselves a disservice and doing your brand a disservice. Talking to your customers is going to have the highest ROI when it comes to understanding who you're selling to, making connections, understanding what kind of content they like to see and where the communities they hang out in. And so like if you're starting from one, I would just, you know, build connections with your customers. Definitely. And when it comes to just like creating content, um, you know, have a great understanding of like what topics you need to be talking about, right? Like put up relevant topics, whether you're posting blogs or you're hosting online events or in-person conferences, get an understand, understanding of the market you sell to. And a good way to do that is to talk to your customers, by the way. Um, but yeah, get an understanding what's what's relevant, right? You might actually have to, if you're a B2B brand, you might have to talk about controversial subjects because that is what's going to get the most eyeballs on you. Uh, and you're going to be able to expand your brand awareness instead of just being safe and trying to always you know, do what other brands are doing. That honestly won't get you your best ROI. And so you know, my point here is just have a good understanding of what adds value and what people are talking about and be a part of that conversation. Yeah, definitely be on the beat of what's going on right now in higher ed. One thing I'm really focused on, on right now is the looming demographic enrollment cliff, which everybody's talking about in higher ed, right? And everybody's concerned right. about it. Just trying to add value there to see and help, um, especially smaller colleges and university in the Northeast, how to navigate that uh, troubling times and maybe focus away a little bit away from the traditional students and go into the non-traditional students. I was a non-traditional student myself, so I kind of know the angle on which to approach that and what a non-traditional student is um, looking for and the challenge mm-hmm. the traditional student is facing, right? So if you bring your own experience in there as well as listening to your customer and, and bringing in the reputable sources to build that trust and authority in the field. I like that you brought this up, Chris, like, you know, don't be afraid to get specific. Mm-hmm. Like we sell the higher ed, right? Concept 3D sells to higher ed mostly. Mm-hmm. And that's already a, a pretty niche audience, right? There's 4,000 universities. There's only a few decision makers at every school that we can really sell to, but just because of that, we can't always keep the conference super high level, right? It, it, it gives a lot of dividends to really speak a specific topic around, you know, maybe we're talking about now non-traditional students, transfer students, like don't be afraid to talk on these subjects. And just because it doesn't reach as many people, you're actually reaching more people genuinely because you're, you're getting specific on a topic. Exactly. Exactly. And don't like, like for the demographic enrollment cliff, if you just go broadly across the United States, you may alienate the ones in Florida because they actually had a high, uh, an uptick in, in, in birth rates during the economic crash. But if you pinpoint Northeast and Midwest, where there's a significant dip and just focus on that little area, you may think, well, I'm going to neglect the rest of the country, but with a white paper, for example, on how to navigate it, right? But you'll get that big chunk, Northeast, mid Midwest, and they're really going to appreciate you for that because you took the time to specifically focus on them knowing showing the empathy that they are 
in the trenches right now struggling. So that'll make yeah. your value there as well. And that brings us yeah. to authenticity as well, right? So how important is authenticity in modern brand marketing and what strategies can marketers use to convey brands, genuine ethos and values to the audience? Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought this up. It ties together again with um, what I said earlier around I'm an ethical marketer. So I think ethical marketing is your answer to authenticity and ethical marketing to me means adding value to the communities that your solutions and your services serve. And so, you know, a good way to measure this is like if you, you know, kind of actually tying into the, the conversation even before this around how do you create emotional connections, how you can measure that really is like, hey, if you write a blog and you're like, hey, I think I, this, this blog is going to do well and you have a bunch, right? You can look back in history and, and actually figure out like which blogs had, you know, the highest engagement, highest impressions uh, to figure out like, oh, these topics are really landing with my audience or no, they are not. And that's one way you can measure that authenticity. But yeah, again, it, it goes back to, is the content you're creating as a marketer adding value to the community? And if you are, then I think your brand will be perceived more authentic, right? And so we try to, we try to work on topics and pieces of content that hopefully add value to our, our customers and our, um, our, our, our ICP as well. So it doesn't always work, right? Like we've, we definitely fail and that's a part of the process and we just have to learn from it and iterate from it. Yeah. And with, with authenticity, the, the price for authenticity, I always say is social proof because when you're authentic to your customers and they really get what they're signing up for, they're more willing to go to bed for you and leave a review or stand there as a, give you testimonials mm -hmm. um, or a reference for potential clients through that. As in turn, if you're just trying to sell them something to make that sale, but then a year later you have that churn, you know, that'll never, you may have an uptick in revenue for one year, but then it's going to dip, dip. And it's a niche audience, hire it. And word travels fast about your product. And if it sucks, that travels as well. So, you know, you want to keep that in right. mind. Or if your customer support is not good, that's a, that's a big one. <laughs> Need good customer support. Yeah. Yes. You, you briefly uh, touched on content creation on blog posts, what works, what's not. How can content marketing in forms of blog posts, videos, podcasts, white papers be used to bolster brand value without directly pushing the product and the service? Yeah, I, I think you know, content is king, right? They say that, right? And, and there's a reason they say that is good content, as long as it's adding value is going to be is good, right? Because you're being a part of the conversation, you're being authentic. And so with that, it can help uh, raise your awareness of your brand, right? Uh, not to mention, if you write good content, it's going to be shared organically, it's going to be favored in SEO. Um, and so you'll just get more eyeballs on it when you take the time and uh, take the time to learn about the audience, take the time to create the content, maybe do some of your own research as well and add value, not just from Googling answers, but doing your own uh, research as a company or as personally, and just adding more value to the community. I think content is king, but that content has to be valuable is 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 the point I want to drive across. And, you know, I, I personally think video content, podcast, video, podcast content is some of the best content out there right now, just in forms of the time it takes to create it, 
uh, how the algorithms are created in search engines and YouTube to find that content. It's, I think it's very favorable. So if you're not testing that, like, I think it's a great area of opportunity to try out if you're not seeing um, results from uh, traditional text content like blogs. Yeah, I see that you you post snippets of your podcast episodes on LinkedIn. Do you post the full episodes, the video episode on YouTube? I don't right now, to be honest, we just don't have the bandwidth right now. Uh, I'd like to. I think there's actually going to be more value in creating YouTube shorts from it. Mm -hmm. uh, just, you know, that's that's what's trending right now. It actually is created so that the algorithm is created so that like if someone watches one short, they get recommended another one, right? And then they can link out to the longer form episode, which I know YouTube as a platform, um, we're recording this on August 16th. I think just last week created some uh, new technology to help improve that flow from YouTube shorts to the YouTube traditional version so that that uh, that journey is a little more seamless. But yes, I think that's a huge area of opportunity for us as a brand as well. Yeah, for sure. When I started a marketing tales show, I didn't have RSS. I solely put my blog, uh, my podcast on YouTube, the entire video. Mm -hmm. And then every time I had the snippets that I put on LinkedIn, like you do, I, I, I changed them to long form, uh, not short form shorts, vertical to have them on YouTube shorts as well, which gave me some great engagement there and reach to people that don't know anything about me. So highly recommend right. Yep. And, you know, one thing I'll point out since we're on this topic is the podcast platforms are not really built in the best way to self-promote your content. Like if you've ever used the search engine in a, in Spotify or in Apple, like it's kind of a mess, right? Yep. Um, I don't think SEO the search engines are created as, is the same as like Google, right? And, and so the search results are kind of all over the place. It's hard to find things. Mm -hmm. what's good about YouTube shorts and platforms like those is there's a whole team purposely creating the algorithm. So that relevant content gets promoted as the next thing that you watch. And yeah. so if you post your podcasts or your video snippets onto YouTube and YouTube shorts, there's a lot more opportunity to create evergreen content. So like even content you created months ago can pop back up. Whereas in this, in the podcast platforms, it's really unlikely. Yeah, that is, that is a good point. I talked to Rob Clark. He's the patriarch of that tall family. He has, he's a big influencer, social media influencer on TikTok and Instagram, but mm -hmm. he's also on YouTube now. And he told me about the, the way YouTube works, right? So sometimes you, you post something and it doesn't get any traction. And months later, all of a sudden, boom, it, shut, it shuts up out of nowhere. But it's the beauty of that evergreen content, like you just talked about, having it sitting on YouTube and the recommendations, the way the algorithm works. Because I came across your podcast solely because I specifically searched higher ed podcasts on Google when I created a list of the 10 must listen to higher ed podcasts. Your nice. spot, it was either an Apple or a Spotify link that got me to that particular page of yours. Right. I would have never found it if I wouldn't look for it, you know, uh, yeah. actively on YouTube. Um, so like you said, you know, the, the searching algorithm doesn't work as well on RSS on Apple or Spotify than it does on YouTube. Luckily I've searched it on, on Google and then I came across yours since we've been connected ever since. So 
Community yeah. engagement is something you want to talk about as well, right? Community engagement, especially in higher ed. I recently had a higher ed marketer. We both know him, Kyle Campbell. And yep. he's big into community marketing for higher ed and marketing. How can community build and engage strategies like user-generated content and increase a brand's perspective or perceived value in the eyes of consumers through the community engagement? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, when it comes to B2B, especially, which is the space I work in and, and B2B SaaS specifically, a lot of user-generated content is going to be around testimonials, reviews, right? Um, and I know we'll get to that. So, you know, nothing beats social proof, right? I think if like you, any study, marketing study for like lead source or source of uh, customers or source of purchases, right? The highest percentage is always going to be like a referral or a friend told me, right? It's it's how much you're known within that industry versus like an ad, right? Ads, of course, can perform well, but nothing beats a recommendation or referral from a friend, a colleague, family member, right? And, and so that's why I believe community engagement is really important. If you're well known in the communities that you serve and you serve the solutions, you're naturally going to get that word of mouth and nothing meet, beats that word of mouth advertising. Yeah. Uh, and so if if you can, if you have any strategies and tactics and distribution channels and communities, it's always going to go a lot further than trying some micro adjustments on ads or, you know, trying to go really with a colder approach. Cause you know, it is, it comes down to having these relationships with the right people. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. I, since we've been on the topic of fire ed for a while now, there's a big push on um, student ambassadorship there as well, right? So that, to have that social right. proof there. But when it comes to B2B marketing, what role does customer testimonials and reviews play in showcasing brand value? And how can marketers integrate them into their brand strategy? And how can uh, you know B2B MarTech companies actually get those testimonials? Yeah, this is very hard. I'm not going to... Uh, say that this is an easy task, especially in the space we sell to. Uh, most, most higher ed institutions are, they have huge, huge teams, right? And they have very, very strict rules around uh, promotion and advocacy of brands. A lot of higher ed institutions can't even tell other people what, what companies they're working with just for disclosure rules, right? So it's really, really hard to get these reviews. Um, you know, one tactic we've used with getting case studies with with the hired audience is when a customer launches their solution, we reach out to them, and usually we've had the highest success there because it's fresh. It's a uh, it's fresh, right? They're really excited about the time they put in to get this new solution launched for their institution. So that's a great time to really get a chance to talk to them. I've had really horrible results trying to reach out to customers who've been with us for years because they just it's not top of mind for them anymore, right? And and so that's one tactic we've implemented specifically with our audience. But I think you can, you know, you can mimic that into other industries as well. Uh, one one thing I'm hoping to do, we want to get more video reviews as well. Is like, you know, trying to trying to ask more for video reviews and being in the right place at the right time for that as well. Um, but yeah, it, taking a step back, how does it play into our overall sales funnel? It has a huge, huge impact. Uh, we actually recently did a. Uh, analysis of G2, which is a peer-to-peer peer -peer review site, mostly for software vendors. 
but it's called G2. One of their competitors is Captera. Uh, but yeah, we did an analysis on G2 and we found just, I think it was just in the last half half year of 2022, there are many, many deals that during the sales procurement process, someone from their institution research, researched our company to see like, hey, what do other people have to talk about us, right? Just mm-hmm. like if I were to buy a product on Amazon, not only do I look at the stars that are being, uh, like, you know, how many reviews there are and how many, what's the star rating? I'll scroll down and like read the customer reviews, right? And maybe scroll through a few of them, depending on how expensive of a product I'm buying. I'll watch the videos, the product videos, right? I'll search for a specific question. And so we know through data in G2 that uh, our customers during the procurement process or the sales pipeline process, someone from their team researched our company to to see what others are saying about us. So I know the impact there is huge and there's a lot of untraceable uh, parts of that as well, uh, unattributable aspects of it as well, but um, we know it has a huge play. And so we wanna continue to get reviews on those websites and continue to develop case studies with our current customers because we know it has a huge, huge impact. Again, social proof, nothing beats social proof and uh, references as well, which is a form of word of mouth. Yeah, yeah, I like the, the the way you structure that when you said that you asked them either for case studies or reviews right after they finished the implementation because it is fresh, top of mind, and they're excited. Because I did a I did a campaign a couple of months ago trying to get G two reviews and I sent a couple of hundred emails out and I got two reviews um, out of that. So I mean it's better than nothing, right. but it's, really not, it's not a great ROI mm-hmm. my time there. What I have one extra tip there as well: make friends with your client success or client support team. They're your friends and become friends with them. Offer them something if they help you get a review because ultimately they're the reason why people your customers want to leave a review. If they have a poor relationship with their customer success team, they're not going to leave your review. So, you know, send them flowers, send them <laughs> gift cards, like whatever you can do to facilitate that. Uh, Cause they're doing most of the legwork for you. I do um, swag boxes that I have that I send to people that leave me reviews or help with a case study. So nice. they always have a nice swag box with, with Hannon and Hill sponsored um, swag on their branded swag. Um, so you've been in marketing for quite a while now. You're at the director level. Let's say there's somebody listening who's trying to make a mark, move up in the ranks. What is one important lesson that you've learned over the course of your marketing career that you can share with the audience? Yeah, I guess I, I kind of, I wrote this in here as, as a run, run a half marathon. <laughs> um, the reason I put that in there is this is a few years ago when I was working more in e-commerce and D2C brands, direct-to-consumer goods. And we acquired, I was part of like a small agency and we sold uh, compression tights and socks that our customers were like endurance athletes. So like think triathlon runners, marathon runners. And this was a sport I really didn't know anything about or the people or like, you know, what are the buzzwords? Like what gets people excited? And so, you know, to at the time I was tasked to build a Michael micro influencer team for the brand, but I can't just do this job without not not knowing our audience. Right. And so I signed up for a half marathon, ran a half marathon, just so I can feel the energy and like what the, the vibe and the culture is like within the community. So I can do more, my job more effectively. And so one piece of advice I have, you know, and I don't know if it directly translates to moving upward, but 
is to really involve yourself in the community, you know, learn, learn about the community you sell into. And not only will you get better at understanding your messaging, pain, talking about pain points, um, you know, fitting in, literally fitting in, but it'll also help your own motivation because now you feel like you're a part of something. Right. And that has always paid dividends for me. Cause now I can, I can feel something there. Right. Which is like the energy you need sometimes as a yep. creative person and as a salesperson, which is what a marketing role is to me uh, to really drive some of that force as well. Yeah. That was smart in your part, especially in the area where you're from up there in uh, Colorado. Boulder is huge, a huge running community that Boulder and exactly. Flag, Boulder and Flagstaff. There's a, of course I'm a runner. So those are where the, where the pros train high elevation. And when I visited Denver, I actually drove to Boulder to stop by the Boulder Running Company to get myself a shirt from the nice. <laughs> you know, because it's such a tight knit community, such a tribe, and you want to implement yourself in that tribe in order to sell to them and that to build that trust, like we just talked about the entire episode, building the trust. So that's one way to 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 help you uh, advance in your career. Another way is to um, the theoretical part. What are two books or podcasts you recommend anyone should read or follow? or just get themselves into? Yeah. I admittedly haven't read too many marketing books, <laughs> but uh, for B2B, if you're in B2B, I really like uh, B2B growth. I believe by Sweetfish Media, uh, they also they kill it with their content. They have guests. They also analyze their own efforts as, a, as an agency. And so I really enjoy listening to that, uh, to that podcast. And then actually a book more for like self-help that I really liked is Atomic Habits. It's been a while since I read it. It's been like a year or two, but I think that really helped me formulate like what habits I need to put in place to become better at my job. And, and so um, that book actually, like while I'm reading, I was thinking about like how I can become a better marketer, right? And, and creating the habits that I need to to move up or, you know, be better at my job and, and kind of analyzing that at a high level and trying to to create tactics around it personally was really helpful for myself as well. That's great advice. Yeah. Sweetfish has been coming up quite a bit over the over the course of this marketing show. Everybody's talking about Sweetfish. I should probably yeah. look at Sweetfish now. I did yeah. um, hear about Atomic Habits quite a bit. I always see it in must-read mm -hmm. read mark uh, not higher ed, must-read marketing books out there. It's always Atomic Habits. So I'm gonna have to look into that as well after I finish right. the five books that I already have on my shelf that I haven't touched yet. Because I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old and I don't don't have any time to read anything. So, but I'll make the time and put Atomic Habits on the list as well. As we close the episode, Shiro, how can people get in touch with you? They're either connect with you or to learn more about Concept3D or the Higher Ed Demand Gen podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. If you search Shiro Hattori, I should be the first option that comes up. But um, if, if I'm not, just look for uh, Concept 3D as the employer. And for Concept 3D, you can just visit concept3d.com where you can also find the podcast under resources, or you can just search higher ed demand gen in any of the higher ed, or sorry, in any of the podcast streaming channels. And I should pop up first as well. It is a lovely podcast. So I really appreciate the content you. you put out in the podcast. And I recommend everybody else listening to it if there are indeed in higher ed or in marketing. So Shiro, I really enjoyed the episode. Thanks for sharing all your valuable insights with the audience and just making a time to be on my show this time. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Chris. Thank you.